This is Power Athlete Radio. With your hosts, Denny Kaye, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs. Jabronis, <laughs> what's happening, Power Athlete Nation? It's that time. We got Luke, we got Callie, we got Playtech. What's happening? What's going on, guys? Hey. <laughs> what's up, Danny? Not much, not much. Living life, living a dream. <laughs> Snowy living dream. Living a dream, dude, just like the Super Bowl, right? <laughs> oh, God. Great game, huh? <laughs> Was it? <laughs> was there a football game this past weekend? Yeah. One of the funniest things was, uh, like, just, I don't know, maybe by halftime, at least on Facebook, there was pictures of Peyton Manning on that phone with, like, funny comments. Mom, can you pick me up? I'm not having fun anymore. Aww. So we, uh, Callie and I accepted the reality that we were traveling to Columbia and we were going to miss the Super Bowl. And yeah. what I guess we didn't account for is time change and the fact that if all things went as scheduled, that we could we could definitely make it. And uh, our host, who is awesome, uh, made sure that we had a place set up for you know a party of like 15 people to go watch the Super Bowl. No one in Columbia understands American football, so it's just like me and Callie screaming at the TV uh, in this Colombian bar in the streets of Medellin. Yeah, but. Uh, it was pretty awesome, actually. But it was on, like, a Fox Sports Vivo, so we didn't get any U.S. commercials. It was all uh, South, Amer- or, yeah, South American Latin yeah. commercials, so we don't know anything about any of the commercial situation. Which is kind of sad. Anything, man. They weren't that good. Oh, yeah? I heard that, Danny. I heard they weren't that good this year. I, uh... I You know, it's, I didn't even watch the whole game, but I my personal best commercial had to have been the Bob Dylan one. Just because Bob Dylan's cool, and he talked really cool through the through the commercial. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. No I have idea. no idea. No idea. <laughs> I um we I watched it here. I um I'm like Mr. Mom in the neighborhood, so I organized the play date. I know I probably just like lost some man points there. I came in at like halftime, and I was, I looked at the square. I was like, this can't be real. So I switched over to the Junior National Weightlifting Championship. Watched a 20 year old kid snatch 170. And clean and jerk 205 kilograms. Yeah. Wow. Uh, hello, American weightlifting. <laughs> yeah. Dude. What what, uh, what weight class? I think he was. I uh, well, for for the juniors. I think he was 105. He might have been 105 yeah. plus. Okay. I mean, but independent, 20 years old or 19 yes. years old, uh, 170 kilo. That's like you know a little bit less than my max back squat. I mean. <laughs> Hey, yeah, dude, was that the Bulgarian kid from Canada? No, Ian Wilson. Ian Wilson. He, I think his name is Wilson. It was kind of funny because the whole competition it was like, next up, so-and-so at 107 for the snatch. Next up, so-and-so, 111. And then it was Ian Wilson, 165 snatch. It was like, whoa. <laughs> it like brought out like a whole new set of plates. Yeah. We uh, at uh, at the seminar we we went to CrossFit Fuerza in Colombia and there was a a kid there. How old was he? 
Uh, he was 85 kilos. I think he was like 19, to be honest with you. Yeah. He's pretty young. I mean, same thing. He's a, he's an Olympic hopeful. He trains at the gym. And what was his numbers? Uh, clean and jerk 200. I don't remember. And exactly. then snatch 160, something like that. Yeah, 150. So something. You would do. You walk by him, and I'm, I'm like, this isn't meant to be an insult, but you would never you would never guess. I mean, he's kind of he's, he looks like a, a like a thick guy, like big neck, mm-hmm. big shoulders, but he doesn't look like jacked, you know. Yeah. He just yeah. has that den- that body like density, um, but super unassuming looking, but apparently mm-hmm. extremely strong. That's kind of how Caleb is too. Like if you saw Caleb in the supermarket, you would be like, oh, he doesn't clean and jerk 166 or 170. I mean, like, yeah, I don't know how that's possible, but just walking around all of this, all of these phenomenons. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. But uh, let's see what else. Well. We'll have to ex- <laughs> You'll have to excuse us because we we just got back like two in the morning last night after the most expensive cab ride from LAX ever. Yeah. I don't. I, we might as well have taken like a horse-drawn buggy. Yeah, it was uh, no, but no. Well, I guess no neighbor issues on uh, this flight, but we were on Spirit Airlines, which is. Like, they are just... You've never heard of them because you've never heard of them. <laughs> so, they're, like, they're very minimalist. And, uh, you know, like, other airlines will, will tout that they have no hidden fees. Spirit Airlines charges you for Everything. ice in your water if you want ice water. Oh, they're like, oh, you want to sit down? That's going to be an extra $20. <laughs> yes. And it's like, uh, I mean, th- their seating is very no-frills uh, The on the first flight that we took there was they didn't recline it was like one bench seat like the back seat of like a, a 1960 Chevy yeah you know like a family station wagon oh. so it's like redneck were you like were there chickens in there <laughs> yeah but if you wanted to look at him you had to pay <laughs> so Luke obviously paid extra yeah I, got, I looked at two of them <laughs> but then, it but it was it's it was an interesting like it was just I've never been on an airplane that was just so like bare bones. Yeah. So, and then, uh, uh, in light of uh, earlier podcasts, you're really making joining the seminar uh, staff seem really attractive. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but here's the thing: we had a blast because we snuck on a bottle of whiskey and just drank it all. Yeah. No. Just, no. That would be great, though. No, we didn't do that. <laughs> but no, but the uh, the actual the whole trip though was pretty amazing. Like we didn't have any major travel hiccups. Which is always such a great thing. It seems like whenever Tex travels with anything, he's I I just call him. He's like a virus. Yeah. Like wherever he goes, there's gonna be some sort of like natural disaster. Yeah, he has forsaken the travel gods. Yeah. Uh, something always happens. He but did yeah. something in another life, and somebody hates him. Well, our flight out there was delayed, wasn't it? Uh, like an hour. Like, like maybe an hour. That's nothing. In but it was a uh, so we took a red eye out there on a plane. With these bench seats that don't recline, so that was a that was a definite struggle. But um, but Medellin, the city we went to in Colombia, Colombia was amazing, like gorgeous. And you know, like <clears throat> when you think of traveling to Colombia, you're like, oh shit, like this is gonna be sketchy or unsafe or something. But it was none of the above. I mean, it was beautiful. The host couldn't have been nicer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luis took really good care of us and. Uh, Drove us around, showed us a good time, and the attendees were so involved. I didn't know if it was because there was the translation that had to occur and that somehow kept people's interests or just like out of the fact that Luke and I are 
Totally awesome. Basically awesome, like the most awesome people they'd ever seen. Um, no, but it was it was good. It was a great seminar. Yeah, and I guess uh, anyone, I don't know if these people exist, but if you have an opportunity or you've passed up on an opportunity to go to Columbia for like a, for a vacation or anything. Because you're afraid? Yeah, it's... You gotta, you gotta go. You gotta go to Flores of CrossFit. You gotta talk to Luis. He'll point you in the right direction. Uh, it was, it was really, I was, uh, I was taken aback at how, how great it was. So, that's awesome. Yeah. What was the energy like during the seminar? It was good. I thought the energy was pretty good. I mean, um, one of the things that I like is that people were just like so in tune with everything we said that it wasn't like people were. I don't know, fucking around between warm-ups or between lectures or anything. People were really engaged, uh, and the energy was good. Like I would, I know Luke has gone to Europe, and not all of the jokes translate there, but uh, our our translator did a pretty good job of uh, making our jokes applicable. To or governing them. Like we tell a joke, and then you listen to the like, translation, uh, yeah. and he totally just skip it, and he's like, "That's not gonna work." Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. Uh, was but, good. And then, uh, you know, another thing with going to South America. Hot babes. Well, duh. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm not a single man, but, you know, just because you bet on one horse doesn't mean you can't watch the whole race. The women down there are all so beautiful. It's amazing. But that, that wasn't what I was going to get to. You <laughs> uh, number two is, uh, you know, our specialty seminar is one of the more expensive in the sense that it's a two-day seminar. It's supposed to be 16 hours, but it ends up being 20. And uh, uh, seven ninety five for for South America is a significant investment. So you know people will stay forty eight hours straight if they have to and get every ounce of information out of the seminar. And yeah. that's that shows through. Uh, we were telling the host, you know, we'll do seminars in Southern California or uh, anywhere in the states, and people will fall asleep during a lecture. Yeah. And and they can't wait to bounce. Like. Yeah, and they want to get out of there, <clears throat> and uh, you know. It couldn't be anything further from that in South America in the sense that they're like, they'll stay and they'll listen because every once in a while people come up and ask a question. Everybody surrounds the person asking a question. They have their notes ready. Yeah. They're just like, they are sincerely there to learn and, and get better. So it was, it was it's great. always a great experience. And the cool thing too, like as an aside, was Luis was really cool and candid about like what Colombia and what Medellin was like years mm -hmm. ago and what it is like now. And, like, we don't need to get into the details, but, you know, he he kind of, uh, he educated us on the way the city works and uh, some trickling effects of, like... Um, the infamous... Yeah, uh, like Escobar type. Esc Pablo Escobar. Yeah, those times. And things that wouldn't be apparent to you with the naked eye, like, he would kind of illuminate, okay, well... This is how these people operate, and this is these workers work for these people. So that part for me was like really fascinating. I thought that was so super cool. Yeah. Um, and it's it's amazing. The city feels really safe and really cool, and it obviously is. Um, it, but they have their own. They have a kind of a a social civil code governing system there. A code. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That that operates just fine. And it's interesting. We were kind of making the argument that. You know, although some people might call that corruption uh, or I don't know what you call it, I guess corruption, but, <clears throat> um, you know, the way our government works is probably not that different. The only difference is we elect 
these people to <laughs> to do that, and it's you know oftentimes tried to be like uh, covered up or something. But there, it's it's perfectly in the open. Everybody knows what time it is, and um, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. It, it somehow the system works, and it's it's great. <clears throat> awesome. Thanks for that. Yeah, you're I was welcome. thinking Columbia was just full of, like, you know, thugs, drugs, and cartels. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. You think Columbia, I think of cocaine. Stuff you see in the movies, but, you know, yeah. it's a different outlook. Yeah, there. I mean, there are areas, in, and again, Lewis being candid with us, he, he's like, listen, if you go to the north end of Medellin, you're going to find probably what the exactly what the movies tell you. It's like, I, I wish it was all taken care of, but he's like, there's certain areas you just stay away from, and uh, there's other areas that are, are extremely friendly, that, you know, where we stayed, uh, it was very touristy, there's a lot of restaurants, a lot of bars, a lot of discos, and everything, so it was, uh, uh, I mean, it, but that's just like any city, you yeah. walk down the wrong, wrong street in Chicago, or in Vegas, or in, you know, Miami, you're at risk, man, there's, there's dangerous people everywhere, so... <clears throat> All right, let's get with uh, Kelly. Promised Pete that he that she would address this question. You ready oh, to Pete. rock that out? Yeah, I, I'm. Oh, here it is. Uh, yeah, Pete yeah. Let's Kavlik. do it. This question is actually for Kelly. Was wondering number one if you could shed some light on your adaptation of the power athlete programming and your CrossFit football training history, and number two insight into helping my wife train. Aside from what's outlined in the CrossFit Football Beginner's Guide, <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is yeah. There's so there's like a, and he gives a background too about how much she's running. So 30 miles plus a week um, consistently for the last three years. So that that in and of itself, I mean, that's a huge. I I wouldn't call it a barrier, but it's certainly. Um, it, it creates a challenge when someone's used to a certain type of training. And the post-workout effect that a lot of times, like, people, women feel after they're done running. They want to feel that exhaustion, and I'm sure you guys are all familiar with, like, athletes who've gone through that. Um, and so adjusting to a strength training or a strength bias program is hard. Um, well, I guess a little background on, on why I started doing CrossFit football was I was powerlifting pretty consistently and competing and I loved powerlifting. I thought it was great. I was decent at it, and um, when I found CrossFit, someone suggested I just try it. You know, I got addicted, like most people, to that that post-workout sensation, feeling like you're completely exhausted. But what I noticed was that my lifts were aggressively going down. Um, so when I would test my maximal, like bench press, squat, deadlift, I wasn't getting stronger, and I was actually getting weaker. And so. Uh, Text convinced me to give CrossFit football a try, and I actually, joking, I guess you'd say jokingly, went into it balls deep. Like it's <laughs> kind of a term. That's kind of a term I use, but uh, so I went, I went full force into it, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna train consistently and see where this leads. And uh, it was a different stimulus. It was something I wasn't used to, but when I jumped on linear progression and jumped on the amateur progression, uh, you know, I noticed. I trusted Texas when he said to kind of reset my lifts back, and uh, and I started seeing some great gains uh, that I wasn't seeing with other programs even before CrossFit. So 
instantly I was sold, and that that's kind of what started my interest in CrossFit football, and then eventually to follow the collegiate program after I drained out the amateur progression. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. Um, I uh, I had experience doing triathlons as well, so I know that I guess that endurance aspect, uh, that mindset. Now I guess the first thing I would ask for Pete is the more specific of a training goal or let's say a, a way to quantify progress for his wife, the better. So it's not just chicks, it's it's anybody in general wants to know if a program's working. So if you can quantify the success of something and have her focus on the gains that she's making, um, you know, she'll be more likely to adhere to the program. And that, that's not just women, that's everybody. So I would say the first thing is like she needs to determine some of her goals. I don't know what the barriers or if he's uh, dealing with any challenges with getting her to stick to the program. For most women, it's they don't want to be bulky. Granted, I'm not the best ambassador of not getting bulky on a program, but I have also spent uh, the last year trying two different programs that weren't CrossFit football, and uh, those ones definitely caused some hypertrophy. And so to say, though, that CrossFit football causes women to become bulky is absolutely untrue because we have women that follow it uh, actively and consistently for years uh, Chelsea being our lingerie football league, or I guess uh, Legends Football League now is what it's called, and then Luke's girlfriend and a bunch of other women here at our gym that we see. And not only that, I know a lot of women outside of our gym in other states, and they follow the CrossFit football site that are not becoming quote-unquote bulky. So if that is a concern, there's just not – it's just not possible. If you eat a clean diet, it's not going to happen. Um, Unless you really – Try. I mean, you have to try. Putting on muscle and putting on mass is not easy for women, and so it has to be a concerted effort. Um, so if that's a barrier, uh, then he needs to – it's just – I don't know if that is a barrier. If he's listening right now, maybe he can chime, in, chime into that. Um, and I think uh, I, coming from the other side of this, the last person who needs to tell her this is Pete. He needs to find uh, – Someone, she needs a training partner that's yeah. not him. Yeah, he needs to find somebody else to have this discussion with her uh, because uh, it's just, it will not go well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's not going to go well. I mean, we all know what it's like to train with significant others. Um, I hated people that I was dating telling me what to do, and of course I wouldn't listen to them, and I would listen to anyone but them. So, um, you know... He says one of her goals here is to increase strength, which is, to me, sure, you can do that, but I think she needs to have, like, an idea in mind, like, be specific. Like, what does that mean? She wants to be able to do a strict pull-up, and she wants to be able to run at least one five-mile run a week in under 40 minutes. So all those things are totally doable. Um, I think that's fine. And now she said she wanted to squat 400 pounds and run – five miles in under 40 minutes, that might be different. But she's just looking to get stronger. To me, sounds like she just wants to increase her strength and maintain her endurance, which for most women starting the program is 100% doable. She's not at a point in time right now where she needs to specialize in anything. Um, but the like Luke said, the biggest issue is just like that dynamic between husband, wife, and um, 
and creating a sense of trust there. You know, you just yeah. There's there happen there tends to be like a lack of I don't want to say lack of respect, but a lack of tolerance or something when it's coming from a significant other. So uh, we had a guy. He did Ant write us an article too. Remember, Ant was out here. Ant, Anthony yeah. Lowe is a, a physio from Australia that came and visited for a week, and he he stayed with me, and I had some good discussions with him. And uh, you he's know, like the Kelly Starrett of Australia, that, that side of the world. Yeah. So it's um, you know, we were talking, and he was telling my girlfriend all this information that I I tell I'm telling you guys, I've I told her before, told her. and she was just so receptive. Uh -huh. And uh, you know, I just kind of chuckled at it, and he he quoted a verse from the Bible. Uh, that you know, a prophet's honored everywhere except in his hometown, you know, <laughs> and among his family. So even you know, no matter how smart you are, no matter how how well grounded your your information is, it it just isn't the same coming from you to your significant other or your family. And I think everybody struggles with this uh, in some facet. So if, Pete, if you've got somebody that you know could have the discussion with her, uh, that's going to be on your side that you can kind of pre or prep the, the discussion with, I think that would be beneficial as well. Um, the good thing, too, with CrossFit football training is, um, I mean, a couple of good things. Like, coming if, if she has any CrossFit experience, she'll be able to recover faster, which is great. That was huge for me. Is uh, I was dealing with a lot less injury, um, less injuries and less prone to injury in my body, and I, I had had some hip issues, and when I transitioned to CrossFit football, just the, the intelligent tempering of volume and intensity um, allowed for my body to recover better and uh, didn't mean that the workouts were quote-unquote easier or anything like that. It just, uh, it was, the design was intelligent. Um, and then the other thing being that it was shocking to me that being on CrossFit football for so long, and I'm sure you guys can attest to this, um, still when I went to do the Open, I was still like pretty stoked on how I did even though I hadn't necessarily trained for the open, it just uh, like I can remember a couple years ago when that happened, and because my strength was up, and this is just like a running theme with all of our podcasts, but like just because my strength was up, so many things about the open were easier to me. It was so much easier for me to like repeatedly snatch 120 pounds or whatever the case is, you know. So if she is looking to do CrossFit things in addition, she'll be pleasantly surprised with the results. I think. <clears throat> and if she says she wants to get a strict pull-up, well, this is a program for her. Yeah. I mean, she's going to get a strict pull-up. The first one is the hardest one, and I think anyone can tell you that, like especially women, the first one's always the ho the hardest one, and then in a matter of like a couple months, you'll be doing like five in a row, um, and then you'll be doing ten, then you'll be doing weighted, and, uh, you know, she just she needs to trust in the program and um, be consistent. Be consistent, and I recommend... I recommend highly, whether it's a male or a female, that she trains with someone else. Um, and I know Pete's not going to want to hear that, but uh, no relationship, as strong as you think it is, is uh, immune to the tension and the emotion that can arise when you're dealing with your significant other. It should be a time where you enjoy working out, not where you feel pressured or anything like that. So if Pete really cares about her being successful in the program, I think he'll kind of step aside, give her like guidance with either another coach or like a good training partner or something. Word? Excellent. Excellent. I like that. That's good advice. So before we move on, uh, Connor asked a question. It's kind of in uh, Connor Lynch in, in the same wheelhouse. 
any favorite cues or encouragement for female athletes who are afraid of the weight on the bar? You know, uh, for example, an athlete who is afraid of getting stuck yeah. at the bottom of the back. Yeah, I, I love to say um, you move the weight. It doesn't move you. And as soon as you get the mindset that the weight is pushing you around, then you're going to approach the bar or heavy back squat with this, uh, even if it's a subtle fear, it's, it, it exists. And so whenever I approach the bar or I see a girl that's timid, I go up to her, I turn her shoulders around to face me, and I just tell her, listen, you're moving the weight. It's not moving you. I want you to think about that. And so you, usually something like that gives them a little bit of encouragement too. And, I mean, have spotters available too and show them how spotting works. Mm -hmm. uh, we talk about that's that being a very important part of the back squat is like no one likes setting up under a heavy back squat, taking a step off the rack, and very few people are like, if it's a true maximal attempt, I can't wait to get to the bottom of this squat, you know? Like it's uh, <laughs> yeah. it's more like I, I, better, I better stand this fucker up. Yeah, I don't like being down here. I don't want to be down here any longer than I have to. I don't want to have to go any lower than I have to. And uh, you know that that psychological component of the back squat we we feel is transferable to the the discomfort and the the fears and the doubts that you encounter in any of your sports. You know, when as soon as the bullets start flying and and you're in the spotlight and all of a sudden it's your you know your ass is on the line. It's kind of the same deal. You want to put yourself in in the driver's seat. Um, one thing that that I notice with a lot of female athletes too is, I mean, women in general are chatty and social and guys too, but, uh, you know, I, I do make a point. Well, there's two points that I've noticed a lot with a lot of female athletes. One point just being that it's fine to socialize during your, this is like your adult recess is what I call it. But, um, when it's time to lift, especially when you're going for something that's more maximal, I want you to, kind of collect yourself, visualize the lift before you go under the bar, and 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 have this the seriousness about it. Um, you need to channel that energy, you need to focus. Um, I've seen a lot of women literally having conversations in the middle of like a three by five. And, uh, walking the bar out. Walking the bar out, chatting, uh, it, it, with their head turned to the side, looking at the person next to them, and I'm like, hey, you know, I understand you guys want to have a conversation. Do that in between sets. I really want you focusing on all of the components of the movement. You know, make yourself one with what's happening. And uh, it sounds really cheesy, but it's something that I believe works. And usually, if people visualize the lift beforehand too, that helps a lot. Uh, but I can't remember what the second thing I was going to say is. Go ahead. <clears throat> I don't have anything to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know one thing that um, I found that helps is. Also, just kind of reiterating how to dump the barbell if you get stuck in the hole, you know, how to properly mm -hmm. dump, get it off your back. That kind of uh, kind of helps break any timidness that I can see where they have that look in their face like they're afraid. You know, yeah, yeah, I've done, over that, I've done that. that this is how you do it, that it sounds cool, you know, that I, I like the way, you know, the weights banging up the floor sounds, you know, and it's kind of get them the to ease up a little bit and get a smile, then get focused and then rock, and it, it seems to help. Uh, with with the same thing like Callie's saying, like, you know, move the weight. I say don't respect the bar too much. Don't give it all that respect. I mean, you're in control. It's just the fucking bar and weights, you know? 
Yeah, yeah, and it, it you know that's that goes for any amateur lifter. You should definitely teach them how to dump uh, the bar, not over their head. Uh, you know, reinforce that with these things are engineered to be dropped because th this is the safest way to get out from under the bars to let go. Uh, and uh, I've I've done that with many athletes. Yeah. Awesome. <clears throat> Well, there was some, uh, Cal, you were talking about powerlifting earlier This um, when you were talking about your background. I think yesterday on the comments board, uh, Emily C. was asking for some advice. Sounds like she wants to enter her first powerlifting competition. And it sounds like that'd be right up your alley as far as uh, anything pop <clears throat> in your mind as far as just a couple, you know, pointers, one or two pointers. Um, the first one, <laughs> I can give you all the pointers in the world, but like the first competition is just, it's an all new experience. Um, the biggest thing, and I think you guys can probably experience like powerlifting is a long fucking day. It's a long day. So you want to keep your adrenaline low, as low as you can before it's time, like 10 minutes before it's time to lift. Um, I think you can say that and you can, you know, you can say that to death, but it's you know it's your first it's your first time. It's going to be intimidating and it's going to be exciting. Um, so yeah, I think uh, try to keep your energy down. Um, my first one, I didn't want any of my friends or my boyfriend to go. I didn't want anyone to see me, and so I just I just went on my own. I think I drove a couple hours and. Uh, I actually liked that. That took the pressure off me personally. Some people like to have a network of people around them. But in terms of like, um, that's kind of like the mental preparation side. I don't know what she's, I think she's following the collegiate program now. I'm not exactly sure. She might still be an amateur. But um, in terms of like, you know, all of the preparation for uh, her training beforehand, we can get into that. You know, if she has specific questions on that. We can talk about how to cycle her training. Um, but but yeah, I think uh, the hardest thing to anticipate is just like keeping your adrenaline low. You, I'm sure you guys have had the same experience. Oh, yeah. I think Steve, you said you said I think you've done a powerlifting meet, right? Yeah, I've done I've done two actually. Yeah, uh -huh. um, and they are they are a long, long day. They're run differently than uh, Olympic meet. But yeah, I agree with you. Trying to keep your energy level. I've seen a lot of my friends go up. And they're they're fired up the whole day. I mean, by the time you get to deadlift, they're like exhausted. And um, I don't know. I I'm with you, Kelly. I like being by myself, um, not having like friends and family around. But I think that's just a personal preference. Yeah. And the other thing I would say too, Emily, is that you need to practice the commands in your training. Practice the oh, commands yeah. of powerlifting. That is huge. I. Uh, and it, it's funny, like, when you're so nervous, too, you sort of forget about it. But I would still recommend that you practice, like, the lifting commands uh, for bench press. You're going to want to re-rack the bar as soon as you get it up. But practice until they tell you to say, until they tell you to press or they tell you to rack. Um, and then practice the pause. Practice the pause and bench press, too. Uh, if you're not, if you haven't been pausing in your CrossFit football training, that's going to be one of the ways that you alter your training um, to effectively feel that like that tension and like almost that isometric at the bottom because uh, that can be fucking eye-opening. 
Yeah, that is a killer. I remember before I did it, um, Caleb was talking about, like, have you been training the pause? And I was like, what the heck is the pause? Wow. <laughs> Game changer. And uh, one of the things that I would recommend too is, like you said, practice it in training. Um, and John had told me this. You know, um, you, you have to practice it in training because then it becomes automatic. What happens when you get in a competition, at least for me anyway, you're pretty amped up and you have the tendency of like you stand up that squat, you just step right into the rack because that's what we do in training. But if you do that in a powerlifting meet, you can get a no lift for that. Mm -hmm. uh, same thing with racking the barbell too soon on the bench. You just want to get that thing out of your hands. But there are rules, and if you don't practice, I mean, what is it, like perfect practice makes permanent. So might as well practice the way you're going to compete in the gym at least sometime, not all the time. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. There, it had there has to be a part of your training that is that is with the commands. Yeah, exactly. I consider that like part of the training is learning the rules of the game or or whatever you would call it. You want to train your motor systems and your psychology to be uh, in line with how that's going to play out in the actual event. Yeah, and I think she should go into it with the mindset like she will PR, like she's going to PR, and uh, you know if she just arranges her training and listen and practices the command, she's gonna she's gonna fucking knock it out of the park. I know it. She's a strong lifter. I don't know if she's doing just a push pull or if she's doing a full powerlifting meet, but um, you know that's good good on her. And I think like more more women should put them in a place to test to to test themselves in that way, like take themselves out of the um, CrossFit world and just you know see see what they're capable of doing under under that high individual pressure. It's there's nothing else like it. Yeah, I might I might just add one more thing. Um, I'm not an expert at powerlifting at all, but um, and I don't know where she's lifting. But the other thing I might uh, just say is that you know be nervous and be excited about it, but also realize that they're fun. Powerlifting meets are fun to be part of. At least down here in Georgia, we have a big powerlifting community, and those events are, I mean, I feel like you could charge admission to those. Dude, they are some of the most entertaining people-watching scenarios I've ever been to. Like, you want to talk about, like, people coming out of, like, the woodwork of the mo either the most redneck of redneck or... I don't know. You you see people where you're like, I didn't even know that haircut still existed. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and and you know, just the style of singlets that you see. <laughs> I mean, like there is a whole subculture for stylish singlets on women lifters. That I mean, I've seen Outrageous. that are made that are made to look like somebody had skinned them alive. So they're all yeah. Who um, yeah. like superhero singlet? So I mean, try to have some fun with it too to take that edge off. Um, totally. Your first meet, I mean, go into it. You're going to PR. Go into it. Have some fun. Everyone is – and the thing I've been finding, like I, I was a pretty nervous competitor when I got into sort of weightlifting, CrossFit. Um, it's different than other sports. You know, like when I played hockey, the other team wasn't cheering for me if I fell down. <laughs> they, yeah. you know, they, were, they were cheering that I did fall down and kind of hoping I didn't get back up. But in CrossFit or weightlifting, and I mean, like it's almost like your competitors, are, they want to see you PR. You yeah, know, they, they want to see you do well. They don't want to see you get hurt. Um, so going into that first competition is going to be hard. But now that I know that, I get excited about competitions now. They're like fun events for me. Yeah. Um, so if you go with that mental state, it takes some of that that psychological pressure off and allows you to focus on performance instead of like, you know, am I going to pee myself on the stage type of thing, which by the way, um, may happen. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's. <laughs> you're not squatting heavy if you don't tinkle. 
<laughs> yes, we can. I know we can. We can rhyme that somehow. I'll come up with something, some way to rhyme that. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It's going to be fun. It's going to be super fun. And uh, you just you just prepare yourself for fun like any other meet. And like I did an Olympic lifting meet where it was my first one where I you know, was snatching and I could feel myself pressing out the bar and like I started laughing in the middle of my lift and with the bar over my head I was like telling the judge, I'm sorry, I just pressed it out and like just, you know, I don't know, that's that's my, that's of course my personality too, but don't put too much pressure on yourself and, and just, uh, just prepare yourself, that's it. She'll have fun. Good stuff, good stuff. What else? Well, you want to get into the, uh, the scenario of training an athlete for the games. You've made it through the Open. You kicked ass at the regionals. Now you're gonna. Now you got that golden ticket. I've got a golden ticket. He's got a golden ticket. <laughs> Daddy, do you drink during the podcast? <laughs> Dude, I'm just way too many kids shows. It's <laughs> from its Willy Wonka the Chocolate Factory. Well, I was I thought that was from South Park, so no, that's me. No. Okay. WW. Willy anyway, Wonka. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I'm a game. I'm ready for the games, and I'm coming to the power athlete coaches. Right, I'm going to pay you for the premium content. How are you going to train me? Is it just a matter of manipulating volume? We can't tell you or it wouldn't be premium content. Hey, recover, <laughs> recover, recover, right? Is it all about nutrition? Do I know what I'm doing? You're just going to try to make sure I don't get hurt going into the games? Well, I know what Luke's going to say. He's going to say practice multiple workouts. Now yes. you've got to, Now you've got to add three workouts in a day. Mm -hmm. uh, at least once or twice a week. So a few of the competitors we know after the triathlon last year uh, went back to the, uh, what's it called now? The StubHub Center? Yeah, whatever. The the place where the games were. Yeah, and, uh, and a, a crew of the guys did two more workouts. Uh, uh, so the, the, they did two workouts that were not required. Yeah, just so they went back. Just to keep it up, just to keep yep. the volume up. To keep their volume up, to keep their food intake and supplementation strategy consistent for multi-day events. So what Luke is saying is that after this event, these guys were, there were two, I think two athletes, mm -hmm. who in order to be consistent with their training, even during the games, they did extra workouts on the front end uh, on that first day so that they could essentially keep that consistency even though they had a huge day ahead of them the next day Saturday or whatever because the volume the way you know I don't know who their coaches were but it was it was a they had a very precise volume that they had been monitoring and they just added they they didn't want to drop below it so I mean that's just two approaches or that's an approach for a couple athletes now other athletes probably went home and slept in an ice bath and stretched right. and did yoga um, Maybe did some of the type of dynamic movement prep for us, but the the, the loaded deal here, uh, Denny is everyone trains differently. Yes, that's the hard thing. Is like if you were to come at us uh, and mm -hmm. get coaching, the first thing we'd have to know is we'd have to go through a lot of assessment to determine how you adapt and how you recover. But uh, it would be, you know, the people who are going to the games. I'm going to say uh, this is. 
let's say 75% of the people who are going to the games already know they're going to the games. You know what I mean? So I guess for that athlete who uh, who is surprised and made the cut, whether it's based off of somebody dropped out or whatever, you know, um, they got through regionals, uh, you know, it's going to be business as usual. You're going to ramp up volume. You're going to definitely focus on recovery because, you know, it's recovery is your mechanism to uh, to come back and train harder the next day. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to say. It's based off of experience level. Like think about what do you think – guys who have been to the games three years in a row are doing, you know, it's, uh, so it's, it's hard to say Denny, just cause it could be very individualized, but, um, it's definitely, you're not tapering your volume down. Let's just put it that way. The, I think the further and the hardest thing is that, I mean, most people would say that the further you get into the games, so the open regionals and then the games, the less you know about the games, like, mm-hmm. In the open, you know what to anticipate to a certain degree. We talked about this, like what can be done in a garage? What do most people have access to? Um, what's easy to judge? Regionals, similar. Um, you know, we can go based on what we've seen historically. And then the games is even more of a wild card, um, as we've seen. Like, who could have predicted legless rope climbs, you know? Right. <laughs> Uh, or the the rogue so pig. That probably means that as you're like keeping up volume, some of that volume probably should, pardon me, should, uh, should probably include some like weird stuff that you wouldn't typically do. Like you probably don't typically row a marathon. Yeah. Or carry a log on your back. Or I mean, like if I was a coach and I had an athlete who made it to regionals, I would keep their volume at a state what I thought it was going to be in the games. But then I might start adding in some stuff that isn't part of the regular training just to get them accustomed to utilizing odd stuff. I think so, but I think that has more mental implications than anything because you can't say that having an athlete uh, do a 26-mile row one time before the games is going to cause some sort of adaptation that will make them better. I mean, I think ultimately it's just going to – it's just going to prepare them, I guess, mentally. And yes, it does require that volume. Mm-hmm. Um, but does that necessarily make that person better at that row when the row comes? Do you know what I mean? Um, just doing it one time. Yeah, and I guess I mean I guess the row was a bad example, but things like um, that that pig thing or something like that. I mean, like lots of people when CrossFit back in the day, like tire flipping, used to be like a thing. Um, and now it came back, right, in a way that was relatively unpredictable. So yeah. I just want stuff like that, sort of that stuff that you don't – I don't know. I could I could survey a bunch of CrossFit sites from 2006, and I feel like I would see tire flipping. But if I did it now in 2014, <clears throat> I don't think anybody programs that kind of stuff anymore, um, or at least not on the reg. Um and so, like, just incorporating some of that other stuff as different ways of getting at the same adaptation. So, I mean, deadlift is kind of like a deadlift. I'm sorry, a tire flip is kind of like a deadlift or a clean kind of thing. Yeah. Right? So it's a different way of moving a weird object just so they get some practice. It's like an adi- – I mean, I would think of it as a way of, you know, for the whole year we haven't flipped a tire, but, you know, this kind of cracked up stuff might show up. So, like, yeah. you're a good and- athlete. You made it to the games. You're strong, you're fast, you're mentally tough, you've got endurance. So you're good enough of the, what, 60 people in the world to go to the CrossFit Games. 
we just need to work on some tweaking things here. Like, yeah. you know, we need to increase your back squat by 100 pounds because you already back squat the house. We don't need to maybe work on your snatch, tweaking here and there. But some of that odd stuff, I think, is what throws people off in the games. Yeah, and then, then the games, too. The games take... Stones, flip tires. Yeah. Sandbags. They take... Um, pre-fatigue to a whole new level yeah. and, oh, and that's that's a that's probably another good component is uh, you know the higher level athletes of course have access to probably most of the equipment that you'll see at the games but you know just adding things like the heaviest prowler push you can do for 50 yards or something like that and then requiring some high skill high volume movements after that I mean that's something that we've seen a lot of or like log, you know those log runs and then having to perform whatever, 30 overhead squats after that. So the pre-fatiguing is a huge aspect of what I saw at the games last year. Yeah. Remember the, uh, when they had the when they had to drive that iron spike into the ground, like three or four feet with slow yeah. mm -hmm. I think that was back like when they did the games at Aroma still. Mm -hmm. Like only a few people really could, could were, was able to compete to uh, compete in that workout. There were so many people who didn't even know how to swing a sledgehammer like that. Yeah, so th this, is, um, this is where we, there's a component to our seminar called the Coach's Responsibility Lecture, and there's something we discussed in there called Praxis. And uh, when you are designing a program, you may not be able to predict the exact execution of a certain point in your competitive experience, right? But what you as a coach should understand is the demands of the sport or the competition so that an athlete can utilize what they develop in, this, in the gym for an unknown scenario in competition. So the unknown and unknowable is literally the, um, I guess, the practice of praxis. I'm yeah. not saying that right. No, you're right. That's um, right. The, the uh, built... The ability to apply your uh, all of your skills and all of your strengths and components of muscle endurance, cardiovascular endurance, to apply those things in an unknown situation. Yeah, so, I mean, the, if there's one thing that, that the games has held, uh, or I guess Dave and his team, when, when putting together the events at the games, something that they've lived up to is the unknown and unknowable, right? So they had the open water swim. They had this, uh, the spike drive. They had that crazy um, off-road canyon run. Remember in like uh, 2008 or nine. Remember? Yeah, it was. Where there's like razor grass and fucking poison ivy and shit. Like that yeah. sounds awful. Uh, then what else? You know, uh, the the marathon okay. road. Where they were whacking that I bead. I forget what they called that event. That yeah, the the uh, the banger the banger walk. Yeah. All these all these and like that's that sounds great. I I think that's super cool because that's it's you get to see who has comprehensive training or comprehensive training history and who has been stuck in one plane of motion or who has been stuck on just a very limited set of movement patterns. So. Uh, you know what's going to come this year? I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe some sort of water-filled uh, uh, pig. So you're not flipping a rigid and balanced it's object. Sloshing. It's going to be a like a slosh tire or something. That sounds awful. Maybe they're going to have a kayak. 
Maybe we have an open water kayak race. Maybe you get to hunt a human. Yeah, but maybe that's what Kelly's waiting for. Is like, like, I like man's, that idea. man's most worthy adversary. <laughs> maybe it'll just be like the the Hunger Games. We'll just throw them all on the island and. God, I hope so. So hopefully, no matter what it is, that, 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 that will open the competition up for next year. <laughs> right. But no. I guess what you know what uh, what this all boils down to in terms of training is uh, you know there. What what you as a games competitor are, how you are going to approach your training between regionals and the games should already be laid out before even the open, and it should be a component of what you've been doing for the past year or even two years. So it's a multi-year approach. It's seasonal, um, you know. And the best way to approach this thing is understand your athlete's limiting factors, understand the movement patterns that are used within the sport, which, you know, if you probably sat down and wrote them down, there's probably 20, uh, 20 simple and complex movement patterns that you can train, okay? And then you vary those movement patterns with implements or uh, energy systems or fatigued states, things like that. And then that's how you build this competency, this broad competency, so you can apply the skills and and training adaptation from the program in an unknown scenario that you are guaranteed to find in the games. You know what I mean? And uh, what's interesting is uh, that's exactly what our program is predicated off of. Primal movement patterns that you can combine in various planes of motion under various types of stress through different energy systems, and it's just understanding how to apply those for the, co the competitive environment. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and two, we can't disregard the uh, ability to work on any holes in your training. Mm -hmm. So like in addition to ramping up all of that stuff, you know what your weaknesses are. Uh, if it, you know, if you can isolate those things and try to shore them up and, uh, you know, at the very least ensure that they won't, you know, cause injury, then that's, that's what you can hope for. You know, when you're looking at individual competitors, that's how we would look at a program. What are the weaknesses? Can we get you there? Let's do it. And then this is this is actually a pretty good segue into our buddy Taylor uh, threw a question up through the Q and A here, and he's talking about limiting factors. And he he asked, you know, can you guys uh, explain the limiting factors that coaches are looking for in athletes? Uh, you know, he's talking about in terms of a hierarchy. Uh, if I teach an athlete the back squat and they have a uh, back squat and they are a train wreck in terms of flexibility. Do I not have them squat until their mobility is proper mobility is achieved? Taylor, have you been to a seminar? Yeah, yeah, he? he he was in uh, Coda at Coda. Oh, okay, okay. So, so he, he has been. Yeah. So just, and then just to kind of go through. Um, uh, you can have so so the short answer is you do those two things in tandem. Even if they're a train wreck, get them to where they're not a train wreck. Have them moving a weight that looks good and they can maintain pretty good posture and position, but depending on what they're training for, I mean, like, you can have someone still back squat even if at the time flexibility or mobility doesn't allow for them to get to parallel. It, says, yeah. it doesn't matter. Uh, you, you still work mobility. You still work all the warm-ups that we taught you uh, that address limiting factors and that very, very clearly show you the holes or, or places where you can, you know, get the athlete to transfer mobility to the primal movement patterns like the squat. Yeah, and, and to give you maybe a five-minute I guess a five-minute brief. Here's how it works. You develop a program based off of a, a very specific adaptation. 
then you identify the demands that you're going to impose upon your athlete. You have to determine if they're going to be compound movements, single jointed movements. You have to determine the volume and intensity that you need to utilize to drive that specific adaptation. We call this a SED principle. And then what Taylor is talking about in terms of the hierarchy, you know, when you're evaluating a movement pattern or a lift, uh, you know, first we have to make sure your athlete is flexible enough to get through full range of motion. Okay, if they're flexible enough, are they stable enough? Okay, if they're stable enough, are they strong enough? Okay, if they're strong enough, can they move faster? Can we drive the adaptation of power, not just strength? Okay, once they are powerful enough to adequately move a load through full range of motion and they're stable and they're strong, then we're going to look for speed. We're going to add speed and then we're going to look for the replication of speed. Okay, and then after we can replicate speed and everything below that hierarchy, then we're going to apply this in a multi-rep scenario. Now we all kind of do this um, instinctively as coaches, but uh, you can get as granular as you want on that. So if you're talking about a back squat, okay, understand the range of motion. Is it the range of motion you're looking for? Well, okay, no. There's two things you can do. Before you start to develop stability by challenging or overloading the structure, then work on mobility, but that's boring. People are going to be like, oh, I'm just going to do mobility. I'm not going to squat. That's why Callie is like, you can do both at once, especially for an amateur athlete, getting the reps and loading them, loading them up on a back squat, assuming their posture and position is perfect. Getting those reps is going to allow them to build the mobility. It's going to train stability. It's going to get them stronger through that range of motion as well. Stretching you, with weight on your back. Yeah, but what you as a coach have to do is monitor and enforce that there's act, there's truly uh, an improvement through range of motion if that's the objective of the adaptation you're looking for. So uh, I guess that's that's how we approach our athletes, right? And it's it's an instinctive hierarchy and it's an instinctive order of operations for most people, but they don't even know. And some people don't do it that way. No, they and they the, don't. But I'm gonna just Luke's gonna say, well, that's okay. But I I personally think the way we do it is the best. Well, yeah. <laughs> of so course it is. so I mean, yeah, we can say, oh, people have other ways of addressing limiting factors, and maybe they only have the person you know squat with a PVC pipe on their back. Well, listen. You can do both at the same time. You can create neuromuscular coordination with a barbell with some weight on it um, that's safe uh, and while you're still addressing the limiting factors and mobility issues or whatever with warm-ups. And another thing before all of that shit is what is this athlete training for? And does it even freaking matter? Uh, you know, we know that there's an optimal range of motion to get the most recruitment out of a back squat, right? But if this person is a... 66-year-old retired pastry chef, I'm making this up, I don't have this person, uh, that has limited range of motion due to a, a nagging hip condition, then you don't have to go through that full range of motion. You deal with the flexibility that that athlete can safely move through. Uh, but at any, through any point of the training, flexibility, then stability, strength, speed, slash power, then the replication of speed, and then you go after it. So... That's you good. Go. You know, <clears throat> I used to, uh, I don't know if, I, if I'd say it, it was a mistake, but I remember when I first started, like, coaching um, athletes, soccer moms, whoever, I was like, everybody's got to squat below parallel. And if you came in and, you know, you can demonstrate stability, but you just couldn't get low, it's like I was in such a hurry to put you under the box. Get on the box. Get on the box. You know, and it, 
it, it helped. Um, some people forgot how to sit down, you know, so the, I think the box kind of helped them getting their hips back so they could kind of mimic the, the squatting movement. But, but what if, like, those people had some issues, like, in their hips? It, it wasn't a matter of flexibility. Um, you know, different femur lengths, different uh, the way, like, the, the femur attaches into your pelvis, like the ball and socket could be at a different angle. There's all these what ifs. You know, now it's like, as long as I, it looks safe to me, I'll let you squat parallel and then just kind of monitor you over time and see if we can, you know, get you lower and get you lower and not just be in such a hurry to, to throw a box underneath you. Yeah, and then you have to think about what, what else is going on with the body as you create that goal of squatting below parallel. I mean, is that is something else turning into dog shit because – because that's the goal, you know, is yeah. are you bre- are you breaking in your back, you know? Um, so you, you have to, you can't just look at just the goal. And that's that's kind of like the problem with the idea of the landmark of below parallel. Um, you know, if it's, if your sport requires it, like CrossFit, then, then obviously you're going to, you're going to want to do what it takes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a safe way to get there. And that's kind of, that's kind of our approach. Yeah. And, and, you know, right from the, we always have our people go through like, you know, elements or whatever, just so you can kind of, you know, before you start going through the classes and you talk about putting them through just some basic um, movement, you know, inchworm or dead bug. And you're going to see um, like inhibiting factors right away, you know, to kind of give you an idea, okay, this person has this issue and that issue to where, you know, a week or two down the line when I'm coaching them underneath the barbell, I kind of have a fresh idea of, you know, where they're at. And and it helps me confidently convey what I'm about to ask them to do. And it kind of gives them some confidence too that, you know, this guy knows that I have this issue or whatnot. And um, I've see, I see progress taking that route faster than, oh, you can't get below parallel. Here's a box, you know. Definitely. Yeah. Awesome. <clears throat> all right. So we got all that. Covered this. We're on a roll. We know what we're doing. Sorry, Luke and I, we're like two corpses right now. <laughs> yeah, catatonic. Uh, so here, I got something that just happened to me. Yeah. Yeah. Right, so the doorbell rung, and um, Richard my... Dawkins. No, no, not nearly as interesting as Richard Dawkins. Um. Uh, who, by the way, does not work out. But whatever. Um, uh, so, uh, the, Forget the, it then. <laughs> the treating guys, the guys treating my lawn come in, and the, the guy just like took me out for like, I, I didn't let her word that you guys just said because he was asking me about how to start training. What should I do? I tore a road to, I'm like, what the heck? You know what I mean? But I mean, this is what happens when you look jack, power athlete style, right? <laughs> yep. Obviously you work out. What should I do? So my answer was like, I don't work out. Nice. Oh. Of my car, so. Yeah. You took the Cali route? That's my route. <laughs> Is that what you say you don't work out? Somebody stopped us in the airport yesterday. A police officer stopped because I was wearing the CrossFit football shirt. He's like, hey, hey, what, uh, what's this uh, CrossFit football? <laughs> so we, we stopped and we chatted him up for a little bit. Um, and, you know, like, it's a cool part of our job, but it's also kind of like, yeah, we kind of just want to get home. But... <laughs> But he was a nice enough guy. Um, but yeah, sometimes, sometimes in the in the airport, 
I'm like, I've never heard of it. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, really? I'm like, no, don't. Yeah, so Steve, you missed basically the best part of the podcast. You missed everything. Yeah, that's okay. I'll, I'll promise I'll go back and listen to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so let, let, we got uh, uh, Brian B. asked, can you touch on, uh, let's see, what's he say here? Can you touch on the benefits of following one program and not bouncing around doing a wad from here, uh, wad from there? Notice many people on the blog who post results for wads, not posted on CrossFit. Yeah, first of all, Thanks. that's a pet peeve. I hate that. I don't go on to another site and post CrossFit football workouts. Although I, now that I think about it, that would be pretty funny. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, uh, I mean, obviously the 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 S wad drives strength, but that doesn't mean that the D wad does not drive. Um, not only a strength adaptation at times, but like we have a very specific uh, ratio of push-pull throughout the week. And so, for instance, if you're if you're taking D-wads from other programs, I guess you would call them wads or whatever. I hate that term, but you would call them wads from other gyms. I mean, you're not you're essentially not following the program. You can't fucking tell me that our program doesn't work if you only do it once a week or twice a week for you know three weeks, you know? Well, I didn't think it was working. Well, what were you doing? Were you following it to a T? No, well, I would do it twice a week. Well, you know, I, you know, I don't really have any sympathy for you um, because there's a there's a mindset when we create the program. There's a, a cyclical aspect to it. Let's let's take a more agnostic approach to this question, though, so Callie doesn't fucking I, kill me. There's a lot of heart. Let's just say you don't follow CrossFit football, okay? And you work out in your garage. I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you lost me. <laughs> uh, so you work out in your garage, and you're following CrossFit main site, or uh, let's see, what's okay. Um, how about like Outlaw. You're following Outlaw, and you're cherry picking from uh, Invictus or something like two, two what I would consider periodized and monitored programs. There's a specific volume. There's a specific split, right? So when I guess, uh, so Brian, one thing you got to understand is how you even write a program, okay? Uh, there is, in terms of crafting fitness, one method is the hopper method, which is completely random, no monitored volume, uh, no monitored intensity. We're going to get you fit. You're going to be the fittest person in the world, and you're going to do it randomly. And you get really decent at everything. But sometimes that's not what people are training for. Maybe they need to get better at their Olympic lifts, or maybe they need to get stronger, or fit, just uh, work capacity isn't the primary adaptation they're looking for. Then they go to a program that uh, that will drive that specific adaptation. Now, you have a certain amount of reps that you're trying to hit in a training block. You're hit it, that training block could be a microcycle, mesocycle, something. There's a certain amount of reps at a certain amount of intensity. Okay, so you can see over a 10-day period, if you're trying to accumulate uh, 400 reps and you hop away from a program and you do too much volume from another program or not enough from this other program because you decide to take a two-day vacation, then you compromise the adaptation this person is trying to uh, elicit on you as an athlete by following their program. Like am I doing am I Yeah, yeah. This it's like the, the cumulative effect of like a, a microcycle. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and the way to bring it back to CrossFit football 
the way we monitor our volume and intensity is based off a push-pull split and we're trying not to overload movement patterns because we know that for most people overloading certain movement patterns through the shoulders or through the hips and knees will cause uh, an injury can cut lead to an injury it's just unsafe and uh, you know some of these other programs you got to crack a couple om- or a couple crack, crack a few a eggs to, to make, make an, an omelet, omelet. And uh, that's true. Like there's certain people who can tolerate certain training volumes and will benefit from that. Uh, then there's others that need less volume. And uh, there's people who have pre-existing shoulder issues. You know, we're, we're programming for con- uh, a contact sport on CrossFit football that we know uh, we really monitor overhead volume. And we don't overload that, overload that overhead movement pattern. So let's say you are following CrossFit football. You pop off. You do 100 wall balls and 200 push presses and 300 overhead squats uh, for a wad, and then you come back for bench press day on on Thursday. <laughs> like you may totally shred your shoulder under a three by five bench because you've jumped off. So you uh, there's risk for overloading these movement patterns, assuming the guy programming or girl or person uh, is monitoring that, which we do on our end. And, uh, you know, there's risk of not getting the desired app- or adaptation from the program. So that's, that's why you wouldn't hop around. But, you know, someone, I think it was a comment yesterday. Uh, he's like, I do, I do this because it's fun. Uh, By the summer. Yeah, was it? And he's like, I do it because it's fun. And uh, I know that it's optimal to follow a program to the T, but sometimes I just like to throw it in the mix because it looks fun. Like, all right, fine. And that's fine. You know, that then that's just kind of, that's exercising. That's not training. And there's not a problem. Exercise is an important component to longevity, lifestyle, both mental and physical. But if you are training, you are training to a specific goal. And that specific goal is achieved by consistently following the training. Right. If you want to play a freaking pick-me-up basketball game with your buddies, that's extra exercise. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, just go do it. Have a good time. Have a couple beers. But it's now, not part of a training program. That's what you're saying. I follow yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, and I mean, these guys who are doing their own thing uh, on the CrossFit football blog, I mean, I don't know. Callie's probably is quick to try to murder these guys, but who knows how educated they are. I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. We don't monitor the we results don't. from other programs because – Right there, that's a red flag that, okay, this has nothing to do with us. They're utilizing a component of our training system, which may be the strength. Um, We tell you and teach you at the seminar the parameters that you need to stay within in terms of volume, intensity for either conditioning or any other strength stuff in order to not compromise the adaptation that we're trying to drive. Uh, You know, and I know I've given this analogy on earlier or previous episodes, but if you understand the core of the program, you could put your own thin candy shell <laughs> around it, and you know, the, it'd be Denny's version of CrossFit football, utilizing the programming parameters that we've provided you to optimally drive adaptation uh, for strength, speed, and power. Yeah, I mean, if these if these people who are cherry picking from other um, sites or programs because they're they're they feel like uh, CrossFit football or the program is not 
driving the adaptation that they need and so they want to supplement, um, then th it is possible that their goals are not in line with exactly what CrossFit football is designed for. And again, like, like Luke said, if you come to the seminar, you can see how to design a program that is a little bit more finite, a little bit more definitive for, uh, for whatever an athlete's training mm -hmm. for. Again, we say it all the time, but the, what you see on the site is, is a framework that works to drive a power athlete. But what it doesn't address are the, those limiting factors that maybe, you know, Brian or whoever else is, is cherry picking to create more volume or, volume or to add more skill work. You know, there is a place for that. We show you how to do it. It's just, it's just not reasonable and like logical for us to try to throw that up online. Yeah. So. Yeah. So uh, in the sense that it could, it could be done, uh, it's individualized. You have to understand the implications of it. You know, I guess that's that's where we'll leave it. And uh, Taylor piggybacks onto it. And I know we talked about this. Taylor, uh, he's asking about he follows CrossFit football strength uh, or his school strength and CrossFit football conditioning. Uh, he's basically he plays some football at his university, and they have mandatory strength. That they have to they have to do and log and turn into their strength and conditioning coach. Uh, if that's the case, yeah, yeah, that's what you have to do. But um, I mean, Taylor, you should know the the guidelines and the parameters that we talked about at the seminar. Just stick within that. If you you see that you have to do a 10 by 10 push press uh, for your school strength work and uh, and the the DWOD calls for some higher volume dumbbell push pressing or something like that, then modify the DWOD and. You know, don't overload that overhead movement pattern, uh, either pushing or pulling horizontally or vertically. So that, that's the one thing I would just heed warning to is monitor that. Try not to stack that. The best way to do it is follow a week behind so you know it's exactly what's ahead of you rather than uh, finding out at 4 p.m., oh, shit, you know, I'm not going to be conditioning tomorrow because whatever. So. Nice. Nice. But, um, All right, guys. We got that that's pretty much everything. We're almost at an hour. Um, it's only been an hour. Show. Okay. Um, got some questions in. Um, some pretty good ones. One that kind of stuck out though uh, was how did we talked about how to deal with difficult parents as a coach? Different scenarios. Got some good, great advice on that. Um, someone threw it out there about how do you deal with a difficult coach? And that could make for some interesting discussion. Okay. Tex, sounds like Tex had an opinion on that. Maybe we can get him on the next show and kind of talk about that. <clears throat> yeah, sounds good. I think we should get Chelsea on the show, right? Yeah, we could probably get that sorted out. I'm sure she would love that. Just bring a little sunshine to the podcast. Oh, man. Bring some sunshine to the podcast. Rainbows and puppies. That's what comes out when Chelsea walks through the room. Just rainbows and puppies everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> she's, yeah, she's a special gal. But, uh, no, I'll get I'll get her on here. I actually just interviewed her for, we're going to be doing an athlete profile on her in the next week or, uh, week or two. And then, you, you know, she can tell you about the... The training that she's been on, and 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 dude, like, I know I, in our travels, I've met some girls who've played um, 
who played female tackle football and it's full pads and and they uh, they don't have much to say about uh, the integrity of the Legends Football League. But I'm telling you, dude, those girls are gnarly. Yeah. Like, they are rough on each other. And uh, it it's kind of like there's an entertainment aspect to it that, that allows for a lot of um, latitude with some, I guess, late hits. Uh, yeah. You know, um, you know what I'm trying to say here, Kelly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, the officials kind of turn a blind eye to a lot of Flags, because so. it gets the crowd going, and, oh, yeah. and like that's what they want to see. And and these girls are tough, and uh, you know they work very hard to look good. Uh, and, and and honestly, and play they, hard. And their athleticism is so ridiculous. Most of the women who play on these teams are either they were previous like collegiate, you know, high jumpers or sprinters, or you know they played some sort of sport, and so. The agility, the athleticism, and obviously their bodies are so ridiculous um, that when I – I didn't know what to expect when I went to go watch, but I'll tell you what, it was like ten times more entertaining than watching like full padded, not just because like they're half naked, but because but because they are more athletic. Like they truly are more athletic than just your, your giant – girl who wants to play football, who just happens to be like 250 pounds mm -hmm. and wants to run in to another girl and murder them. Like these girls are athletic and they, uh, the plays are, they're on point. You can tell that there goes, there's a lot of time and effort that goes into their training. Yeah. And, uh, you're almost guaranteed at least one wardrobe malfunction. Oh, wardrobe <laughs> malfunction. I, <laughs> I thought when I went to watch Chelsea's game, I'm like, you know, this this one chick, like, it's somebody tries to reach behind her and tackle her, and she gets her, her little briefs pulled down. We saw butt. There was we butt there so much butt. And uh, and I just couldn't even believe it. Like, she's still playing, just pulls her britches up, and it's just like... Like, um, throws the ball at the girl's face, and, like, they spit at each other. Yeah. And start swinging, and then shove each the other. It's, it's gnarly. It's crazy. I... I don't know. As a lady, I feel a little uncomfortable watching it sometimes, but... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's bullshit. Did you just refer to yourself as a lady? I am a lady, and so to see these chicks, like, running around and, like, get their underwear pulled out, I'm like, oh, my God, look away. <laughs> it's pretty funny. But, uh, yeah, so long story short... Next show. Yeah, we'll get her on next show, yeah. yeah. She can give you some, some first-hand accounts of uh, kind of what goes down. But, there you um, go, so... Think up some good Maybe questions. Maybe we should make a video podcast next week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see what we can arrange. That means I'd have to shower. Uh oh. That's not happening. <laughs> uh, no. All right, boys. Let's uh, let's call the show and plan for next week around Wednesday. Sounds good. All right, Sounds guys. Good. All right. Oh, one more thing. If anyone's listening that is in San Diego this weekend, we have a cert in Carlsbad. Oh yeah, come check it out. Come and check it out. Uh. Luke and I are coaching this weekend, and um, uh, we still have some spots available for the cert. So if anyone is interested, go to CrossFootFootball.com, sign up, and uh, and drink in the knowledge this weekend. And what else? What, what's coming up after that? What's our schedule look like? Uh, I don't know. So, Kyle, they were going to be in Katy, Texas at the end of the month. Yeehaw. And then the first weekend in March, our buddy Steve. Steve Playtech. <laughs> coming my way. Yeah, we're gonna be doing CrossFit uh, open wads uh, before the cert, I will, at I lunch, will and after that, the cert. I will videotape any of the power athlete staff doing the open wads so that you can post them on the uh, feed. Oh, no, no, man. no, no. We're man. gonna need. That's fine, but we're gonna need some post production. 
you know, to slow the clock down. Yep. Speed up movement up. And add abs. Yeah, and then we're going to have to, you know, airbrush uh, at least 12 more abs. <laughs> oh, my God. Y'all have complexes or something. No, no, no. No. Just travel armbands yep. over here. I'll be bringing my own chalk. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. We'll talk to you next week then. All right. See y'all. All right. Take care, guys. Bye. Good you guys.